Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Mavs podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Brian Damaris, former director of basketball development for the Dallas Mavericks. And with me, as always, is the TV play-by-play voice, the golden-throated one himself of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Followell. Good afternoon. Good to be with you, socially distancing as we always do when we get together on our Wednesdays to record the podcast. And this is a very special edition because we have uh, another special guest, but this one's really special in that we got the tall baller from the G, Dirk Nowitzki, to join us one year after his retirement. The last game that he played at American Airlines Center was April 9th. We're talking to you on April 8th. April 9th was a Tuesday last year, a home game against the Phoenix Suns when Dirk scored 30 points. And then the final game of his career was the next night in San Antonio, April 10th, 2019, a game. uh, The Mavs won the home game against Phoenix. They lost the game against San Antonio, but it was a special night for Dirk all the way down to hitting his final shot with around a minute to play in the game. And the Mavs taking a foul to stop play and Rick taking him out to uh, cheers from so many who were uh, Spurs fans in San Antonio and Maverick fans who made the trip down there. Quite the trip down memory lane we're having. Yeah, we had a nice half-hour conversation with him and uh, hit on a lot of topics, uh, things that, that I haven't heard him speak about, kind of uh, reminiscing on on the last year that he's had and, and some of the end of his career. So uh, as we hit this year barrier, uh, I think it's a conversation that uh, we'll all enjoy. So take a listen. So Followell, we are joined by another special guest here on 77 Minutes in Heaven. You didn't want to have him on, but uh, I insisted. The tall baller from the G, the great one, Dirk. How are you, buddy? What is going on with you two? Sorry to to burst into this busy schedule I know you have going on right now. Yeah, no, it's been obviously a lot of family time. Um, Yeah, I wanted to ask you. Homeschooling is super hard, uh, as I'm sure uh, every parent would say uh, would agree. Uh, with downloading and this and that and watching over them is uh, is uh, a challenge. Let me let me put it that way. But no, it's been just a lot of, a lot of family time and um, you know, as we know, our lives are busy and and now so we we can sit back and you know talk to loved ones and family across the world, friends and and enjoy time with the family at home in this in this sad and, and you know tragic times that we're in. So how are you handling this as a, as a father? Do the kids kind of understand what's going on? They don't get to see their friends or go to school? You know, how is that? Yeah, yeah. obviously our kids are still pretty young, but they, the oldest is, of course, almost seven already. And she understands that, you know, there's a virus and we can't do any play dates right now and we can't go to school and we got to wash our hands a lot. And so, yeah, we talk to them, of course, about it, especially the older two and, and they understand and school is for them is, is really busy when they go there and it's from it's a law it's from eight to three and i think they're actually not too mad that they get to stay at home right now and, and study a little bit in the morning and the rest is uh is playtime so uh they're uh, i don't think they're having such a hard time with it for now and i know your parents are in germany and the rest of your family uh you know i know that's got to be hard for them so far away what, what's the how are they doing yeah, that's uh, of course I'm worried. I'm worried of some of my parents. Of uh, worried for for a lot of people, you know, uh, fighting uh, fighting this this virus and on the front lines and you know all the healthcare workers and my people in Germany and all the folks here that you know I grew close to and um, so you know I think about people a lot that uh, and I worry for them. Um, but so far, you know, everything is okay with, uh, with my, my friends and, and family. And, um, of course my, uh, my parents are, are in a, a risk group for sure. And then they're older and, um, they're not the most healthiest anymore. So, um, they've been social distancing now for quite a while in Germany and, and, uh, they're, um, you know, they're hanging in there. It's, of course, it's, it's not easy. My dad is. He's a really social person, and he goes out and meets his friends almost every day, and has a few beers. And um, so it's, uh, this is this is harder than it sounds, but uh, they um, they understand, of course, what's what's at stake, and and uh, so they're they're obliging, and uh, everybody else is, is doing okay. But like I said, I'm I'm thinking a lot about people that you know lost their jobs and 
and lost friends and family. So it's, uh, it's definitely a, a tough time. Very well said. And Dirk, as always, it's a real pleasure to get to chat with you. Uh, as we are now almost one year to the day, as we record this, removed from uh, your last game at American Airlines Center and then the next night playing your last NBA game at San Antonio. One of the things that's been so interesting this year is I've seen you at games. You went to L.A. and to Miami and you've been to a few home games, but you've been very gracious in terms of how you've been in the background and, and you got the big standing O and your and your games at American Airlines Center, but you've kept a little a pretty low profile this year in terms of being around the Mavericks. What's that been like in terms of an adjustment and your thought process on just kind of uh, trying to be in the background as much as you possibly can be given your given your history with the franchise? Yeah, I think that was that was of course by design. Uh, you know, I wanted I wanted the young guys and and the organization to grow uh, without me being there all the time and me uh, being in, in their faces all the time. And and also I, uh, I wanted myself to take some time and you know get some distance, to get away from the game mentally a little bit and, and physically and. Uh, and I traveled a bunch, uh, traveled this summer. I traveled over over Christmas for almost six, seven weeks uh, with the kids. Um, so that was, that's been fun. And um, but of course, I will I will uh, the Mavs will always be in my thoughts and in my heart. Even when I traveled in the morning, I get up in Europe, whatever. First thing I do is of course check Twitter. How the Mavs do? Did I win? Did they lose? So. Uh, of course, I will always be connected, and there will always be uh, be in my heart. But uh, I think it was by design to, to get a little separation, and you know, and, and get some get some mental uh, mental free free time, and and just get away a little bit from the Mavs and the game. But as you know, you know, if you if if, if you love the game like I do, and you've been around for this long, you will always care for the Mavs. I was always care for for the game, and so. Yeah, it's been fun though. It's been it's been a fun year. Can't believe a year has passed already. But like I said, I'm enjoying the family time, and we traveled a bunch, and and uh, it's been uh, it's been a fun time. Dirk, what do you think back to now that it has been a year about those last two nights, the home game against Phoenix, and the great night in San Antonio the next night? Now that it's been a year, what do you think back about in regards to those last two wonderful nights of your career? Yeah, I mean everything, everything, everything on these two days. How I was crying, getting dressed here, putting my suit on one last time, and uh, getting to the game at at home at AAC, and all the AAC employees were were standing there, and I was high fiving everybody going to the locker room, and uh, my teammates celebrating with me, and uh, the game was uh, the Phoenix game was awesome, and I was able to make my first couple shots and just really soak it all in and making it a celebration and really enjoying uh, my time with my teammates and with everybody there. And, um, you know, afterwards, of course, the ceremony um, with, with, with five of my, my idols and legends uh, coming out to, to show respect. And, um, and then of course, uh, in, in San Antonio, the, uh, the video, the video tribute that did for me pre-game, where this was probably the most emotional I got outside uh, when I got dressed here for my last home game. Those are probably the, the two times I've I've cried the most or broke down the most. Um, and uh, and then remember when it's, it was all over after the game in San Antonio, I made that last shot, and it's kind of like wow, you know, just kind of couldn't believe that that was it, uh, the end of a of 21 years but um yeah um, these last couple days are always going through my mind uh and they'll always stay with me for the rest of my career and uh, my life has it been uh easier to transition to a life away from basketball i mean you did this for 25 years kind of the same routine um have you found it easier to transition so I mean, obviously, I knew this day would come, so I was kind of looking forward to it a little bit. Um, the practicing, the staying in shape over the summertime, the staff, always finding a gym wherever we go, and uh, you know the strict diets, even in the summertime at times. I was just, I was just ready, and you know, the summer right afterwards, I really enjoyed. Uh, we travel, like I said earlier, so much, and 
I didn't care about working out. I didn't care about diet. And that was a blast. And then, and then of course it was weird when, when I came back in August and, you know, the guys started to get together and started scrimmaging and went into camp. That was definitely a, a weird time, uh, not having a routine. And, uh, I definitely missed it a bunch there and I caught myself being moody at times. Um, but then uh, I watched, of course, some of the games there in, in October and, and, and November. And then, you know, once I started traveling in, in December and January and stuff, I was actually, I was fine. I was, I was, I was getting over it. I uh, was missing it a ton, even when we were traveled. And so I think I'm, I'm over the playing part. You know, I will always be a fan of the game. I will always watch the Mavs when they're on or other good games and, you know, so I was. I will always be, of course, attached to the game. But I think I just. I'm. In, I'm at peace that my that my playing days are are over and I'm enjoying family time. And honestly, it's been it's been so much happening this year with traveling. And I took a position on the FIBA Central Board, which I don't know if you guys know that it's like the international organ for basketball. They run you know, the Olympics for basketball, they run uh, the World Cups, they run youth leagues and youth tournaments. And so that's been, that's been fun. And I've been to Switzerland a couple of times and, uh, and trying to, you know, just help there and, and leave a, leave a mark there on how to, how to improve the game over, over the next two years and the traveling with the FIBA and, uh, you know, I've been getting honored all across the world so far. It's been, uh, been amazing. And, so it's been the year kind of actually flew by quick. I'm, I'm doing a couple of business sides where I'll try to learn new things. And so I, honestly, it's been, it's been super busy. I always envisioned myself after my career laying down for a year and eating everything inside and watching TV all day. And that honestly has not happened. Uh, of course, due to little kids, you never just sit quietly in peace for, for an hour. There's uh, always something going on. So it's been, it's been fun. What what do you miss the most from your playing days? Well, I, it's it's the stuff that I was I was envisioning that I was going to miss, and that was, of course the competition. But even that's okay. I mean, I I I, well, I was a competitor. I like to compete, but I'm actually been I've been okay with without it. Uh, it's a little bit of the camaraderie, uh, the locker room stuff, the traveling, you know, the routines a little bit, and. You know, as you guys know, I'm really close with most of the MAF staff and, you know, the Scooter and Casey and all my guys on the training staff. And so I, I do miss that. I do miss, uh, miss the time together, the dinners on the road and, you know, the fun times that we had in, in the locker rooms. And uh, so I do miss that a lot uh, more, actually, the, the the playing and the competing part. A minute ago, Dirk, you addressed the fact that you're on the FIBA board now. So you said that you're talking about ways to move the game forward and improve the game. Man, I would love to pick your brain about that a little bit and hear what are things that once we get back playing and and everything returns to a sense of normalcy, what are some of your ideas and some of your vision for ways that the game can be improved and some of the suggestions that you're making and that you're hearing talked about? Well, obviously... uh the, the game in Europe and internationally is a little different uh, play than here than uh, in the NBA. So uh, from international thing, we're still in, trying to improve the game. The rules are a little different. The three-point line is closer. The game's shorter. Um, so they still have the possession arrow that we have in, in, in our college game. Um, so there's all these these rules they're talking about now and and they still have the they don't have the cylinder rule. So once the ball hits the uh, hits the rim, uh, somebody like Rudy Gobert, like he did uh, during the World Cup in China last year, he can just go up and knock the ball off anytime he wants. And so there's just a lot of talk about that, um, just adjusting the rule. What what's better for the international game versus the NBA? So. There's been a lot of talks, a lot of meetings uh, about stuff with with, my, with the players' commission that I'm the chair of, and uh, it's been it's been super interesting for me. It's also a learning curve, you know, you know, to all of a sudden I gotta you know hold meetings and be the main talker in, in meetings, and uh, it's been it's been fun, but it's it's been a learning curve. And as far as the NBA, I'm not sure what's what's coming next. I mean, the guys are pulling up for so deep. I think. 
you know, they've been talking about the the four point line. They're talking about uh, speeding the game up a little bit, uh, with which they have a little bit with with less timeouts. But uh, even free throws, they they tested. I guess the G League would only have one free throw and keep the game moving. And so I don't, I'm not really sure what what the game brings here uh, in the near future for for the NBA game. But I'm always I'm I think the game is in a great place. Uh, that the fans love it. We have some great stars. Uh, in the NBA with, with Luca and, and other stars being so young, so coming up. And um, I actually wouldn't change that that much. Dirk, over the years when we would do interviews after you achieved milestones and would pass people on the NBA all-time scoring list or reach 30K, I always loved the answers that you gave about it, which was that I appreciate the fact that it's happened, but this is really going to be something that I won't take full appreciation of until my career is over and I look back. Have you started, Ben, in, from, from a personal and team achievement standpoint, have you started having some of those times to look back and think about the milestones and the people that you passed, or are you not in that place yet? Uh, I think it's still a little fresh, everything, uh, even though it seems like I retired three years ago, but uh, you know, like I said, this year was, was so busy that I haven't really gotten to reflect. I think once my kids are a little older and they, they understand uh, what was going on and maybe I'll even sit down with my two sons and, and you know, show them or explain them or when, if they want to learn about the game a little bit, uh, then we'll, well, that will sink in more. Um, the craziest like so far has been, you know, driving by AAC and seeing my street sign. I mean, that is, that is what makes it super, super real. Uh, what, uh, what I've done in this city and in this community, which I'm super, super proud of and super honored that I would, I would get a stream named after me. And so that, that makes it all so real. And that, you know, that makes me emotional driving by or just now, talking and thinking about it that was um that was super super special and uh you know that's there for forever and my kids can one day be proud of it and see it and um so it's um that's that was something that that you know just makes the whole thing super real that is such an amazing thing and it is something that you should be so proud of the incredible thing about it though is that even though it's Davitsky way it doesn't make you get to the traffic on there any quick, any more quickly. You still got to sit through the traffic like the rest of us when you're coming to a game when it's all backed up on Davitsky Way, man. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know the first home game I came to was sort of there in November, and I kind of left the, I left the house a little late, but it was like around six forty-five. Tollway was clean. I was down there, you know, getting ready to turn on my street. As it sounds a little weird, but I was getting ready to turn on my oh, street. Wow. At around at around seven o'clock, and I missed—I almost missed the jump. It took me over thirty minutes just to turn that corner and go up and go in the, into the goal parking. So uh, I learned that uh, I learned that quick. You can't just leave the house at six forty-five and, and plan to make the game. It's just because uh, I'm so used to obviously getting there by like five o'clock. Uh, with with zero traffic, that was uh, that was new to me, and that's why that that tweet came out that uh, that came to my mind. I was like, man, traffic on the Whiskey Way is insane, which is uh, which was a great uh, humble brag, but uh, it was true. I was sitting there for over thirty minutes. Yeah, welcome to the way the rest of us live. <laughs> yeah, see, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't used to being uh, going to NBA games as as a fan, so now I am. Well, you mentioned you know, and I think part of the reason that that. The dedication hits you so closely is that you have such an affinity for the city and especially how the city embraced you early in your career. And, you know, we see the news of Tom Brady leaving New England after 20 years and going to Tampa. Um, do you understand his motivations for doing that? Because I know I think you you have a lot of pride in being, um, you know, 21 years in, in one city and in one uniform. Yeah, to me, that was that was never really an option. You know, I I always said the only reason uh, would, if I would have, have even considered to leave is if I wouldn't have won the championship. And at the end, my last year or two, I would have tried to maybe win it somewhere or join a contender. That that would have been really the only reason for me. 
but I'm just glad I don't, I don't, I never got to be in that uh, position. Uh, we were able to win the championship here. And, and um, so I was able, of course, to finish my entire career here. But to me, it's, it's, it's something that's total personal. And, you know, everybody, every athlete has to know uh, what's best for, for them, what's best for their family, what they still have left in the tank, what they have left to give. And, uh, and, and, and you know, sometimes the public is a little quick uh, to judge. They sometimes they don't know what's really happened behind closed doors, what the conversations there were with owner, with coaches, with the staff. Um, you know, so I, I sometimes it's just it is what it is. Uh, that's uh, that's the name of the game, uh, and of course uh, it's, it'll be super tough to see uh, Brady in a different uniform. But uh, you know, so sometimes stuff happens and. Like I said, uh, we're with a public that doesn't have all the inside info, sometimes a little quick to judge. So as you look to, um, you know, you've obviously embarking on this kind of new phase of your career. And I heard you recently in a Q&A talk about how a lot of what you're learning now, you probably should have learned along the way, but you know that your younger self probably would have uh, bristled at that. And you, mm-hmm. you would want to just focus in your game as you communicate with some of the younger guys now, whether it be Dwight or Luca or even Kristaps, um, do you even try to go there with them or do you just realize that that's kind of their mindset as well? And that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, um, I think if there's something in the future where, where I'll join the Mavs or, or do something with the Mavs and I'm sure that's, um, I would I would love to talk to guys more about it, but as of now, like I said, this this year for me was about um, you know creating some distance and, and getting some get some rest mentally, and um, so I have not, but that will definitely be be one of my main messages. Um, it's the NBA and the MBPA uh, do such a great job. Um, you know, they have presentations all the time. Every few months we meet and they do some, they do some great stuff. And, and as a player, you're like, you just thinking, Oh man, they're, they're taking my nap away today. Uh, and I, I got to sit in this meeting, but there's so much great stuff out there to learn. And, and, uh, and, and some guys do, they take classes and, you know, there were some guys that take some summer classes at Harvard business school and stuff like that. And I wish, I wish I would have loved, um, to take, uh, take that opportunity earlier and, and learn some stuff. But, you know, I was so all in, uh, in basketball. I was so invested every summer, I barely took any time off. I was training and then I played national team basically my entire twenties, uh, for 10, 11 years straight. And, you know, when you train all morning, the last thing you want to come home and is, is, is study. And so I, all these are excuses. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's doable, but I just, I just wasn't ready for it, but now I'm playing catch up a little bit, you know, now I want to be, you know, there's some business meetings that I was able or lucky enough to attend and hearing some pitches here and there and, and there has been vocabulary thrown around. Vocabulary thrown around. I'm just like, okay, I, I need to study a little more. There's all these abbreviations and stuff going on that I have no idea what they're talking about. So it's just, it's just, a, it's a different world, and uh, I want to learn more. So I've been, I've been taking some, some private lessons here and there on finances and, you know, stock market stuff and companies and investing, and it's that that part's been, uh, been super interesting too. But as we know, when you're in your 40s, it's not that easy to just sit down and learn anymore. It takes a while if your if your brain hasn't been used to learning something new every day or every every year. Then it's it's hard to to get something in your in your old head. But um, I'm trying. It's it's been fun and it's been a new challenge. Have you been leaning on any uh, ex athletes that you've kind of seen do really well in their post career uh, for advice on this? Uh, not as much, not as much as I, I should, uh, probably, but, you know, I've been, like I said, I think in year one, originally, I just, all I wanted to do is was travel and get some time away. And I didn't even really plan on doing all this much already. And, and, uh, but, you know, obviously for me, it's the right time now to set myself up, um, and for, for obviously the next 20, 30, 40 years. So. That's the process that uh, we're going through right now with my foundation in in Germany, with my foundation here, um, with with my with my business here. So 
I'm trying to just set myself up where uh, where where I'm good for 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 the rest of my life, and um, so it's been uh, it's been yeah, that's been uh, it's been a fun challenge. Hey Dirk, I just have just one more question to wrap it up with from my perspective, and and I wanted to ask for and this is a serious question, a little advice on something. So so Brian and I talked to a psychologist a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about dealing with what life is like in this very unique situation. And and we tried to relate it to athletes. And what she said was athletes have a, an incredible ability to keep their focus on goals, to be able to deal with disappointment and understand that there are things that they can't control and to be able to just focus on what you can and bounce back from disappointment and you're still able to accomplish things and achieve things. So, so hearing that setup. Um, from the life that you've lived and the unique life that you've lived, is there any advice that you would give for the rest of us that are having to deal with something that we've never had to deal with in our life and, and trying to, to keep focused on the right things and keep our sanity and just, uh, is there any advice you would have to make the best out of this really difficult, unprecedented situation for the rest of us? Yeah. Like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's a really tough situation because it's everywhere obviously you read the newspaper you watch the news you go on twitter instagram i mean it is it is everywhere um honestly i try to stay positive at times it's it's easy of course to to watch the news and you know and and get all down and i try to uh, enjoy my my family engage with the kids uh and uh, and just you know enjoy enjoy them uh, I've been checking a lot, like we talked about earlier. I've been checking a lot more on on friends and family, um, with whether it's phone calls or Zoom calls or whatever you may want to call it. Um, just you know, it almost brought me closer together to, uh, and I'm sure you guys have gone through that too, to, to friends and family again, because our lives are always um, going 100 miles an hour, as we know, and there's a million things happening. And so I kind of uh, used this time to to uh, to check on loved ones and family and friends that I haven't checked up on in a while. And and other than that, you know, watch the news once or twice a day. But other than that, you know, try to stay positive. And and I'm you know the people that are in charge um, doing the right thing, and um, and we doing our small part. And but you know this is definitely a strange situation now as an athlete uh it's it's obviously super hard you know as as you've seen people were trained not only basketball but people were trying to train and get ready for the olympics and now that's been canceled but uh that's been it's been a tough time for for guys trying to train and stay in shape talked to some of them uh, over the last few weeks and um so it's yeah it's i mean it's it's it's, it's a tough time um, we went through it a little bit in basketball, I guess, when we go through a lockout, uh, which is sort of a weird time where you can't go to a gym, uh, but you obviously can't compare it to, to what we're going through now. But that's sort of the mindset, kind of staying in shape, do the best you can do um, and, and stay ready. But uh, this, uh, it is definitely super tough on not only the athletes, but, uh, but anyone right now. Well, let's close on a quick basketball question. You know, this team, the Mavs now kind of remind me of the 01 Mavs uh, a little bit where they're kind of the up and coming, that first playoff series that you guys had with Utah on the win. Um, do you kind of see that? And, and what is, you know, what would be your comments to some of the players now in terms of the the patience and the drive needed to kind of take it to that next level where they can, you know, in a few years get to a championship like uh, your Mavs did in 06? Uh, 11, you mean? Well, or, 06 uh, and then, of course, yeah, get an 11. Yeah. Uh, 06, I don't really want to want to remember much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, no, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, have a, they have all the right pieces in place now. So, um it's been super exciting uh, watching watching the mass. I think early on it was it was it was Luca's thing. Then Luca got hurt a little bit, and KP came along. and And I think if, if those two guys are, are efficient and productive together, and I think we have a really deep team. I think sky's the limit. I think to really be a contender, you only need maybe uh, a, a tough guy or one or two little pieces uh, that fit in well and can defend and maybe a spot up a three point shot. But other than that, I think we have a, we have a great core. We have a great bench and we're deep. Um, so I think this team is set up honestly for, 
for a great run for hopefully a long, long time. And, you know, how we were set up at the beginning, you know, we went through some tough times the first couple of years and then we kind of, we had the core and then we won what, 10, 10 plus years, 50 plus games. Yeah. And I literally think that's where, that's where the Mavs are at now. They're, they're getting there where they're setting themselves up to be, uh, to be successful for a long, long time. And that'll be, that'll be it's exciting time for, for a Mavs fan. And, uh, watching Luke and KT grow together and, and hopefully stay healthy and, uh, and have a great impact on, on our team and our league for, for a long, long time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing sort of like the same things that I saw early two thousands from, from us, you know, gotten better and better. And, and, uh, and now they're in a position to, to make the playoffs. And so now we don't know what unfortunately is going to happen this year with, with the season, but, um, you know, Team's got to, a guy's got to use the summer to get better. Most of them are still young. Um, you know, to the summer for me was always um, to, to get better, to add something to the arsenal, to be in better shape, uh, work on uh, work on your weaknesses and come back a better player um, on and off the floor. And, and, you know, and just that's how I always try to make my team better by becoming better in the summer. And then I always, always, I worked with Holger on certain things for like a month or two, and then I would play national team. Whatever I've learned, I had to compete at the highest level. And I can, you know, I, I used to try that stuff in, in the international at the highest level, high international competition. So, you know, my advice to the, to the young guys is now use this time. Use this time when, when they can this summer to, to get better and, and, uh, and work hard and, and you know that's uh, that's how you make make the team better by by individually um, adding more to your arsenal, and then you come back and, and your team is automatically better. Well, dirty, thanks a ton. It's uh, comforting to hear your voice in these uh, crazy times, but to, to hear I some of it. what's been going on with you, I can't believe it's been a year. Yeah, I know. Since uh, you were draining fifty points in those last two games combined, <laughs> but uh, combined, yeah, combined. <laughs> Uh, you had a couple uh, in single games in your career as well. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's really good well, to talk to you, Dirk. Yeah, you guys, no, no. I uh, hope, uh, hope this podcast goes well, and I hope um, this, this tough time is, uh, is, is hopefully over soon for, for everybody. Thanks, man. Appreciate we'll talk it. talk to you soon. Happy All right. anniversary. Take care, guys. All right. Yeah, thank you. Well, Falwell, that was um, a great chat with Dirk. Like I said there towards the end of the interview, it's just great to hear his voice it is. in this time. It's just comforting. Um, you know, it, it is kind of weird that it's been a year. Yeah. As he said, it's flown by. Well, it's good to hear his voice because Dirk's a very smart guy who's obviously incredibly experienced and incredibly empathic towards his fellow man and understands the difficulties of what we're all going through. He's going through it himself with Jessica and their family and his, uh, as he talked about his folks back in Germany and all of his friends, uh, which we're going to have some interesting news on sports in Germany here in just a little bit on the podcast. But, but you know, it just, it was good to hear his voice because you knew that he would have a perspective that we could all appreciate and all probably learn something from. And, and I certainly think that's the case in terms of how I walk away from it. And we didn't touch on this in the interview, and, and it's something he's doesn't he bring up because he's you know the humility that he has. But his foundation has given out over one hundred twenty five thousand dollars already to coronavirus efforts. Wow, uh, locally uh, and and nationally. So um, you know it, he is not only you know talking the talk, he's walking it as well. Yes, yes, which uh, which he made a career of that. That's uh, that's certainly nothing new. Um, and the thing about it is, and I did a podcast earlier this week, and one of the things I talked about was that, you know, for years, of course, the famous visits to Children's Hospital and Scottish Rite Hospital for Children, uh, Scottish Rite Hospital of Texas for Children, and the uh, Santa Dirk, the Uncle Dirk, and, the, and as a true act of philanthropy, it wasn't something that was ever publicized. And it was only after, you know, word had kind of through back channels gotten around, and the great Brad Townsend, Dirk acquiesced to let him tag along for one of those visits under certain conditions that he made it about the families and what they were going through and not necessarily about what Dirk was doing. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to philanthropy uh, and giving back, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear that he's done all of those things that he's done from a uh, coronavirus relief and, uh, you know, helping people. And we're just kind of finding out about it because 
he wasn't going to like sit there and put it on blast that he was doing that. Yeah. And, and you know, the foundation has been around for over a decade. I mean, he's, he's quietly given money away and, and never wanted to talk about it. And now that, you know, his wife has taken over and it's, it's become kind of now his, his flagship area that he's going to have this kind of next phase of his career. It's been more uh, visible, but he's been doing this for a really long time. Um, but I do want to kind of transition to a year ago uh, on the ninth, that that last home game against Phoenix, and what you were thinking as someone who was broadcasting his final games. I mean, you've called his greatest moments. I mean, you've been what? How long have you? When was their first game that you broadcast, even on radio? Uh, March of two thousand. So. I said in my little uh, open letter to Dirk that uh, we used for Fox Sports Southwest last year that I guess of the 1,522, I think it was the number that Dirk played regular season games, I probably did around 1,300 of those. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but somewhere in that ballpark. So what, what were you thinking as, you know, I know and we joke about you having canned calls like Jim Nance and you don't, <laughs> but how are you approaching something that you knew was going to be replayed a bunch, you know, played off and uh, et cetera? Well, a couple of things, Brian, and I'll try to be as, as, as much as possible succinct about it, uh, especially on the last night when he left the game for the last time. I just wanted to make sure to be the heck out of the way that when he Vince Gully, yes, when he left the floor, say he was leaving the floor for the last time. And then at that point, man, there was nothing that I needed to say. Nobody at home needed to hear Mark Folliwell sitting there talking about Dirk in the final seconds Planet of Planet Dirk or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, nobody needed to hear that. That was a moment for everybody to watch Dirk go out of the game, see how, his, how Rick and his teammates and how everybody reacted to him, his reaction, and all of us have our own private moment of whatever it was that we internally needed to think or say or feel to ourselves about what he has meant to the organization and to the city and to all of us as MFFL. So uh, as far as the the San Antonio game and at the very end, that's the thing that was weighing very heavily on my mind was say something as he's coming off the floor that's appropriate. And I believe all I said was, you know, the Mavericks have taken a foul and Dirk Nowitzki will come off the floor now one final time. And you know, going back, looking back at it, maybe a thank you, Dirk, would have been something that might that one comment would have been appropriate. But the main thing to me was to stay the heck out of the way and not get in the way of the moment that everybody was having while watching their TV. It did not need me saying anything. I can assure you of that. Uh, as far as the Phoenix home game, I mean, I was just, you know, wanted to be able I, I felt like it was going to be kind of like 30k that he was going to have a good game and it was going to be exciting and people were going to get pumped up to see him in the 30k game of course he needed 20 points yeah to tie to get to 30k yeah and and the shirts had been laid out <laughs> and of course he was on a streak where he really wasn't hitting double digits for quite some time <laughs> yeah it wasn't real wild about this. and yeah. uh and he get, goes off for 18 in the first quarter and yep. it was hot from the first second yeah so the phoenix game to me and, and, and by the way, that game is going to be replayed, the 41-21-1 game. It's going to be replayed on Fox Sports Southwest on Thursday night multiple times. That game's going to be replayed as last home game. Plus um, the ceremony, I assume. Yes, yes, the ceremony after the fact. Uh, the main thing that I walked away from that game was I was prepared for the broadcast. But honestly, man, I was prepared and just thinking about, I mean, I was sad. I mean, it was the end of an era. And so going into it that day, uh, there was just, I had this just kind of profound sadness and there was like a part of me that felt like, man, don't lose it on the air tonight. Don't get emotional. Keep yourself together because this is, you know, just, this is part of, part of what happens in professional sports. I mean, you know, for everybody, the thing that turned it all around and really put me in enjoy the moment, enjoy the game moment was Derek himself. And I, I may have told this story before. I'm not sure if I have. This is me in my succinct version of stories, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, I, I feel for your wife so much. <laughs> so before the game, and I, and I think I've gotten over the years a pretty good read of Dirk and know when he's in the layup line before the game, when to high five, when to shake hands, when to fist bump. 
when he's going to come when around. When not to make eye contact. Yeah, when he's going to come around and knock the mic out of my hand. And, and you know, he doesn't know his own strength, I'll always say. And when he's going to come up and slap me on the back and he doesn't realize how hard he's hitting me. It's like, dude, you're seven feet tall, 240 pounds. You're almost like you're knocking the breath out of me when you do that. But so I, I knew over the years when it was appropriate to screw around and when to. He's to, in the zone. He's in the zone. And so, you know, this is not the time. Or nervous or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. He came out on the floor before the game that night and he came by Harp and Skin and I and, you know, high-fived and did all that stuff. And his demeanor was not at all sad. It was this guy who had this like super uplifting, positive vibe about him that even though he hadn't announced it, it was this vibe of he knew what was going to happen. He recognized what was going down. And I'm not, and he wasn't like approaching it of, I'm going to be sad out here tonight. I'm going to savor the flavor of one last time on the floor at American Airlines Center in front of my, in front of my fans and the Maverick fans. And so once I could see what his demeanor was, that his demeanor was, let's make this night about a celebration. And, you know, literally like the whole Dr. Seuss saying, what is it? Smile because it happened. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. And that was his whole total vibe when I saw him before the game, 15 minutes before tip-off. And once that happened, man, it put me in such a better frame of mind about enjoying it and not being sad and not being down about it. Yeah, and, and I, I know that uh, we did the post-game show, extended post-game show that night on the ticket afterwards, and I didn't really cry that evening. Yeah. I think I was numb still yeah. from everything that had happened. I knew there was going to be a ceremony. I didn't really know specifics of what was going to happen, and all that was phenomenal. And, you know, and then he announces, you know, officially, which he hadn't done really until that point. I think people forget that. And so it didn't really hit me, I think, until the next night in San Antonio, especially when, as he said, uh, you know, that video that that Pop put together in San Antonio, put together pregame and and kind of the I think I was caught up in in the swirl of everything on the ninth. Yeah. And then the 10th is when really, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't. I didn't go to that game because he was going to have some drinks in Dallas afterwards. Right. And so I, I kind of wanted to go to that <laughs> and knew that if I had gone to San Antonio, I wouldn't have been able to get back in time. So, yeah. but it was good to watch it on TV and watch your broadcast. I did appreciate how you handled that, but uh, yeah, it's just, it, especially during this weird time and it's something else I thought about, which is so low down the list of, of things, but you know, I'm so glad that, it wasn't this year and that we would have maybe I've thought about it lost this time because let's say especially the way his age and conditioning is who knows what it would have taken him to ramp back into shape yep. a and b if there is no season left then we would have seen his last game without really knowing it yeah um no no dude i have thought about that very very thing and, and you know that's kind of how it might end up for vince carver yeah yeah you know, i i know because they played a game on march the 11th the night everything stopped and uh, from what I understand about it, you know, a lot of people were, were, you know, around Vince at the end of the game. And I'm sure a lot of people were wondering, you know, because it was all unknown at that point. Is this it for him? So I, I have I don't think there's anything wrong. I know there's a lot bigger things going on in the world, but I don't think there's a damn thing wrong with the fact that, yeah, we both thought about that. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that part of what I think made Dirk so special and so endearing is. You know, and we and he talked about it in the conversation. Every summer, he improved on his game. He was just so consumed with adding something to his game. And I remember, I can't remember. It was summer of mid two thousand, somewhere in there. Uh, I went to Wurzburg in August, and I've told this story on the ticket. But I just told him in the morning. I said, "I, I just want to go through whatever you would go through mm-hmm. in your day. I'm just a fly on the wall." And he lived in. He, he stayed, which he still does. Stays in the basically a one room studio at the bottom of the apartment complex that his parents stay in mm-hmm. same place they've been in forever. And he would have a little breakfast, drive an hour to where Holger would work him out in an air conditioned gym for three and a half hours, doing the craziest things I'd ever seen jumping off of six foot high boxes to strengthen his ankles. Wow. Uh, doing these lunges, left hand hook shots, left hand sky hooks, things mm-hmm. that he wouldn't, Implement into his game. I don't think he ever did the skyhook, but the left-hand runner, which we saw in the 11 finals, mm-hmm. he was doing it in 05, but wasn't putting it into practice until many years later. Right. 
then drive another hour back, do an hour of treatment, then you know rest, eat a little bit, do an hour on the bike later that night in August. <laughs> and you wonder why he was so great because yeah. he would put that kind of work in. It's no secret. We may have actually told this story uh, before, but but I, I remember the first time I ever really heard you tell that story at length was when we were chatting the night before San Antonio Game Seven in two thousand six, and we were we were hanging out uh, in San Antonio and said, "Man, you know the Martini Bar, yeah, tomorrow night." The Mavs and Spurs, and this is why you do, like you were telling the story, this is why you go work out like that in August for three and a half hours in an air-conditioned gym in Germany for being able to do what you need to do in the ultimate crucible of pressure that he's going to face tomorrow night. And that's why you do it. And and obviously that particular game paid off. And then, you know, as the years gone, went on, it paid off at an even higher level with the 2011 championship. What are some of the... Uh calls that you remember the most obviously the milestones are there but is there a certain shot a certain game uh you obviously didn't call the the playoff runs except for the first rounds because yeah. of the the tv rules but what are some of those that just pop into your head um well the buzzer beaters are cool to pop into my head you know uh the, the game in milwaukee uh where he hit a buzzer beater at the end of overtime the New York game where he didn't even want to celebrate because the ball bounced on the rim two or three times. Yes, yeah, so I'm talking to him after that. He's yeah. he's still mad that it it took all those bounces and it wasn't a clean <laughs> basket. I'm like, screw off. It, it went in. Yeah, that's all that matters, man. The buzzer beater that he hit against, and, and it was technically, I think, 1.1 or 1.2 to go that he hit against uh, Charlotte on a Seats for Soldiers game here at American Airlines Center back in 2009. The Utah buzzer beater, uh, and technically I think that was .8 left in that game. But remember, it was at the end of the 07-08 season, which was by the standards of that time. I mean, that was not a great Maverick season, even though it was 51-31. and 31. Um, but, but they beat Utah in a home game with maybe four or five games left in the season to clinch a playoff spot. And I think it actually got them to 50 wins. Or 49, or it, it maybe didn't get them to 50, but it, but it certainly clinched the playoff spot for them anyway. And Darren Williams had tied the game on a bank shot, and then they didn't take a timeout, and Eddie Jones threw the ball up ahead to Dirk, and Dirk hit a three with eight-tenths of a second to go or whatever it was to win it. I mean, those things all stick out as great moments. The milestones, of course, uh, you know, passing Olajuwon and passing Shaq and passing Wilt and 30K and 25K and 20K even. I mean, all of those stand out. But in terms of just individual neat moments in the regular season, uh, I was doing radio when he had 53 against Houston. Back in the game in December of 2004. So, so those would be ones. The McGrady, uh, yeah. Dirk battle. Yeah, McGrady had 48, I think, in that game. And Dirk had 53. And Did you call, and I know it wasn't a Dirk shot, but did you call the Utah playoff win in 01? No, no, I was doing. So I had done half that season. Jim Durham had been out with his heart surgery, and Matt Pinto was doing TV, and I was doing the radio broadcast. But I only did the radio broadcast that year from from mid-November, early to mid-November, or somewhere in that ballpark until the 1st of February. And then JD came back and, and Jim did the remainder of that season. So I was in the studio uh, doing the KLIF 570 pre-halftime postgame show. And, and have you been the victim of uh, some, some targeted attacks on a bus ride? Have you, have you kind of taken some heat? Because, you know, he's, <laughs> he's known for his, yeah, for his sure. wit and, and kind of giving people a hard time and I liked, you know, part of what he said he missed the most wasn't really the competitiveness, but it was the locker room and the guys and yeah. hanging around with guys. And part of that is, you know, you're on the bus uh, so many times and yep. there's bound to be some times where you've taken a few jabs. Oh, for sure. For sure. Mostly it's centered on more getting off the bus and looking down. It's like, I hate that suit, you know, and I, like <laughs> I would wear like some some real outlander suit that I had or. Uh, I have a green uh, suit that he's not the only person who doesn't like it, but 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 sometimes it would be coming off the bus or it'd be in the layup line. He'd walk by in the layup line. This is when I knew it was it was a good night to mess with him. It's like, God, I hate that suit. You know, it's like <laughs> burn that suit. And of course, there burn would be it. yeah there <laughs> there would be a few uh, there would be a few other colorful way, uh, phrases that he would add to that to make for some effect. Burn, uh, burn that suit. But between that and suit, I'm sure everybody can imagine what, what he might have been, what he might have been saying. So I, I, a lot of the times, 
uh, it would be about something like that. Uh, like cross cross bus conversations sometimes where follow will. Did you see what happened today with Arsenal or did you right. see? Because uh, you're both you know, big, huge soccer Yeah, fans. yeah. So, sir, so there would be. There would be moments like that, but, but most of the, uh, yeah, most of about your outlandish attire. Yeah. Most of the things getting off the bus, most of the the targeted bus attacks were burn that suit or I hate that bleeping suit or (laughs) something along those lines. Consolation. My nickname is nose and it's because (laughs) I have a big nose. You know, it was interesting you talking earlier about emotions last year, watching it come to an end. And I think for me, what made it, I think that that my emotions about it and when I reflect on it, I get emotional about it. And I think it's because I saw him do it. And so when you saw that what it meant to him and what the emotional aspect of it was to him, what he told us in the interview, getting sad whenever he was putting the suit on at the house before the last game, whenever the, the video played at American Airlines Center about his charity work, whenever the Spurs did the video for him and he was very emotional about it. I mean, I think that's what like makes me get on the verge of, of uh, it, it did then. And what even to this day talking about it makes me kind of get on the verge of it too, is just that to see it, what it meant to him. That's why it means something to us. And just, as I've said thousands of times in interviews over the years, there's never going to be just that relationship was so incredible. Dallas, this kid from Würzburg, Germany comes here and doesn't even like know how to tip at a restaurant, how to pay his bills. And so like people within the Mavs organization took him under their wings and, and taught him about life in America. And then he's learning about life in another place as a 20 year old and then try to figure out how to play and be effective. And obviously that was struggles. You know, there were struggles there that first year. But to go through all of that, to stay here to get good fast, to be the kind of person that he is. But to still struggle early and, just, and yeah, have the fans behind him. Have the fans behind him, then to get good, to be an all-star caliber player, to reach the finals and it not turn out in 06, and then the MVP and the disappointment of that. I mean, it is a freaking movie. And, and you know, Luca is so much different in that he didn't come from a second division team in Germany. He came from Real Madrid and won Euro League, and he was the MVP. And he started playing pro at 13. Yeah, so, so the world is just, and we all embrace our relationship with Luca. And it's, it's, it's but so it'll be different. I think see. it's unfair to yeah. say Luca is going to be the next Dirk because he's just, he's, he's going to be Luca. It's going to be different. Yeah, he's different. And Dirk came here with all these obstacles. And Luca has obstacles, of course, too. But he also has a leg up on things in terms of just how much different the world is now and the, the globalization of the world and understanding what kind of adventure, uh, for lack of a better term, what kind of challenge that he was embarking on. I mean, it was just such. Uh, an incredible challenge that Dirk was embarking on and the Mavs had been bad. And so he's also part of the rebuilding and complete total turnaround of the team. And it's just, it is, it is a fairy tale story. And I think that's what made the emotions just so amazing last year. And then he's just such a, he's, you know, hell of a human. I mean, he's, you know, the, the philanthropy, the goofing off, the jokes, the self-deprecation. Oh, his Twitter is just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 confidence in belief in himself to be a great NBA player. Cause make no mistake about it. I mean, Dirk understands he was he was a hell of a basketball player and a hell of an NBA player, but never carried himself in a way when he was outside the lines that made you feel like that I'm in the I gotta keep reminding you that I'm a great player. Yeah. He never, yeah. He didn't he didn't have to tell you that kind of stuff. Right. You know, he'd even, you know, there would be there would be nights we might get into an elevator and, and a bunch of us would get into the elevator at the, at the hotel in the next city. And the relationship was good enough that if I felt like it was, a, especially if it was after a win, I could say, man, I, 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 I had a really uh, rare moment tonight. I got to call you getting an offensive rebound and a putback. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow. Okay, then. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a little aggressive. And he would get a good, yeah, he would get a good laugh out about that. So well, just, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I told him this story this year, I think for the first time, and I, I really hadn't told it at all to him. And I think I said it on the ticket before, but you know, in 2007, he won the MVP. Mm-hmm. But of course, the Mavs flamed out in the first round. Mm-hmm. And I was with him in his, his old house. I don't know, it was about noon on some random summer day, week, 10 days after that series has ended. And you know, we had been out drinking to kind of drown the sorrows the night before. Sure. So we're, it's a little hazy. 
and he's he's kind of just flipping through his phone and, and he just says, I got it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I got it. I go, you got what? He says, I got the MVP. And he had just gotten a text from the league saying, you know, we're going to make it official tonight or whenever they're yeah. releasing that you want the MVP. And it took me a second, but I was like, whoa. And I try to get up and, you know, give him a hug or whatever. And he half-heartedly agreed to that. But he was, I think, so down about losing that series mm -hmm. that in a way he felt like he didn't deserve it, that he had let the the team and the city and the fans down, which nothing could be farther from the truth. Of course. But that just always stuck in my head as this moment that really showed me that he did care about the team and he did care about the city and the fans. Now we did celebrate it and we had a nice party and yeah. all that stuff. But in the moment when he won, his first thought was, man, I, I don't know because I let everybody down. And that just shows you, as you were saying, the, the humility of his character. Yep. And so here we are a year later. And again, just to remind everybody, the game will be the Phoenix game from April 9th of 2019 will be on Fox Sports Southwest. Uh, Multiple times, I believe, were played uh, ceremony as well, all coming down on Thursday night. And the Spurs game will be Friday night. I did not know that. I believe that's correct oh, as wow. well. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's fantastic On the 10th, which is the next night. Matter so, of fact, they played uh, on Tuesday night. We're recording on Wednesday. On Tuesday night, they played the last time Dirk and Kobe were on the floor together yes. playing. It was a game in uh, early November of 2015 at American Airlines Center. And so then, was, the, was the butt slap, Kobe, was that after that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. that was January 26th, I believe, was the date. And that was... You know, we were all prepared for that for our broadcast that night about Dirk and Kobe on the floor for the final time. So that was the last game that the, the teams that they were on played each other. The January game. Yeah. yeah, January 2016. Yep. Yep. And it was interesting to watch that game uh, on Fox Sports Southwest last night because Roy Hibbert was out there. And I think about the game now and it's like, I, I don't know if Roy Hibbert could get on the floor in an NBA game, the way it's played in 2020. And that was just, dude, that was just like November yeah. of 2015. I mean, the Mavs were out there playing with two bigs, with Zaza and Dirk a lot of the time. You know, Brandon Bass is out there. And Bass, you know, look, we all love Brandon, but, but you know, he was a small, he was a, a smallish center. I mean, he, I, I guess he could work now as a small ball center. He's they a Julius Randle kind of guy. Yeah, they just wouldn't be able to shoot threes. and you you, know, you, You'd have to have another shooter on. You, he'd be the only non-shooter on the floor. Yeah. When I say non-shooter, he had a great, Mid-range J, but no right. no range. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it was just it was so interesting watching that game last night and seeing how much what the league how much different the league is now. Whenever we're playing games, and of course so Dirk was, was on the forefront of you know he was the true first true stretch four. Yep that that really now has revolutionized the game. Well, let's get to a little bit of sure. the latest news from the league. Adam Silver had some comments the other night, uh, basically saying that. Uh, I'm not even going to think about a decision until May 1st. Mm -hmm. And along with that, I think one of the things that we talked about this with Casey last week on the pod, uh, in Casey terms, Smith, Casey director Smith, of athletic, right. uh, uh, director of athletic, uh, director of player health and performance for the maps. So. And I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that. If you, if you haven't about how players are mentally and physically staying in shape and what the team is doing, what the league is doing to really, uh, uh, be on the forefront of that, to keep them kind of, uh, mentally and physically um, sharp. But one of the things that you'll need is rapid testing. When I mean rapid testing, I mean results in 15 minutes. Correct. Hour at most, things of that nature. Until that's widely deployed, until that is something where if they got tests, it's not taking it away from people who need tests. I think any discussion about playing again is is premature. Yeah, I would have to agree with that because uh, you, you know, the the access to training facilities as things start to ramp back up presumably presumably is going to have to be so limited uh and it's going to have to be, you know, basically like getting into Fort Knox uh, in terms of, you know, just you can't have any possibility of somebody coming in there that even if they're that that has uh the virus even if they're asymptomatic obviously. Um so yeah, you just I, I would agree with Adam Silver. Until we get an idea of what sheltering in place in, in the vast majority of states around the country, how that's going to impact things, and that's all in place pretty much everywhere until the 30th of April. Uh, you know, the one thing that's interesting that's been coming out, and, and believe me, this is not universally applauded and universally liked right now, Brian. There are a lot of people who are questioning this, 
But there are some models that are starting to make their way into the public eye that feel like maybe the peak's going to come earlier. The curve may end up being flatter. There may not be the demand on health resources. There are some models that are starting to show that, but they're not being widely accepted as of this point in time. There's still a lot of skepticism about how accurate are they? How true are they? How much can we believe in them? It's just one. There are still other models showing different things. So we're just in a place, man, where clearly, clearly May 1st will, will be a good time to take stock of things. But I don't even know then at that point that they will be in a position to make decisions. We'll just have more information to start preparing to have conversations about making a decision, if that makes sense. And Major League Baseball came out with their plans, which are you know, have it all in spring training facilities in Arizona, have players sitting in the stands six feet apart, all this crazy stuff. Yeah, not even in the dugout. Yeah, six it feet seemed apart. Seemed kind of half-baked to me. I, I don't know how much I really like that. You've heard some NBA players talk about not being that crazy about playing without fans, although I think at the beginning stages that might be where it is. You were saying uh, in soccer there's been some league restarting. So in Germany and the, and the German Bundesliga, uh, by the way, they're actually still playing. I don't, I'm not sure if people know this. You know that in Belarus, that league is still actually playing games. I didn't know there was a yeah. league in Belarus. Yeah, that's the uh, <laughs> the top flight domestic league in Belarus is the only uh, soccer league, to my knowledge, that's still playing games in the world. I think Argentina tried to play for a while, but they ultimately had to stop. So in Germany, in the Bundesliga, uh, which is one of the top five domestic leagues in Europe, they have started this week coming back to training. Social distancing. All sorts of hygiene practices in place. I don't. I'm not 100 sure exactly what the testing protocol is uh, to come out on the training pitch and whatnot. But they are training, and the idea in the German Bundesliga uh, soccer, because their top basketball league is called the Bundesliga as well. But in German Bundesliga soccer, soccer, the idea is come back in early May, play games. They have nine games left in their regular season, and it would finish in June. And bear in mind, by the way, that there you don't have playoffs. It's a, it's a, you know, as as the model is in most European domestic soccer leagues, you play a regular season, and the team that comes out on the top of the table at the end is the regular season is the champion. You know, just like uh, just like Liverpool was basically like a game away from doing, and and now their thirty-one year drought is still on their thirty-year drought is still on hold because uh, because the league, the Premier League, has stopped. So when would be the first games? Early May. Okay, so I don't that have could a specific be a- date in May, but early May. That's a guinea pig of sorts to see how that goes, I think, for the other franchise, other leagues here, to yeah. be honest. Much like uh, people thinking that the restart of the Chinese Basketball Association was was something to, to be. Which, of course, got stopped. Yes, yes, which uh, looked like it was going to happen and then hasn't gotten off the ground. So we're just, uh, we're a long way away, uh, a long way away, I hate to say. Or at least it feels like it because given how interminably long it's taken to get from March 11th to today, four we're weeks almost, ago today. Yeah, we're a month. Yeah, four weeks ago today. My Corona beard is one month long. <laughs> it's looking good. <laughs> Very grayer than I expected, but it's looking Thank good. Thank you. Thank you for saying that in audio <laughs> medium. Um, but but it just, so, so we're talking about, so May 1st is... 21, 20 or 23, whatever it is, it's three, it's over three weeks away. And as long as this last four weeks has taken, man, that seems like that's just forever. So, so we, we got a long way to go on this thing, man. So there was some discussion, the NBA, uh, the players association, NBA players association, uh, did have a call with agents recently. Um, obviously the owners, everybody wants to restart the league because of the money that's involved. And the social aspect of sports being a kind of bonding experience and something we can all rally around. But uh, I did find it interesting that what the Players Association is saying in terms of the cap, because the cap would obviously go down Mm -hmm. because of the lack of revenue that's coming in this year from China and this, that they don't think that the anomaly of this year should affect the cap. So unlike when they wanted the cap spike, yeah. In 2016, <laughs> they don't want the opposite of the spike now. They want to smooth. Yeah, now. they want smoothing now. <laughs> so that's not surprising that they don't want. And obviously, the current players would love smoothing because some of those will age out, won't take the big hit this sure. year later. So it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out as well. Um, I would think that given what we know about Adam Silver, Brian, I, I think he's going to be as accommodating as he possibly can. Be as he possibly can be, and of course, you know he's got obligations to the owners as well. But, but I think in the best interest of any of everyone, I, I don't think I think the NBA is probably smart to be sensitive to, given the struggles that so many people are having right now. 
to see billionaire owners and millionaire players arguing over how you're going to split a multi-billion dollar pie. I don't, I don't know that that's going to play well. So I think that that will get, res- whatever the res- resolution will be, will get resolved discreetly, quietly, and with no level of acrimony. And I guess the last piece of, of news that came out was that uh, obviously all draft workouts and interviews are going to be virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, there won't be any in-person uh, interviews or meetings. There won't be a draft camp in Chicago. Although that hasn't been officially canceled or the lottery hasn't been officially canceled. Um, you can't have a lottery until the season's over. So right. I'm sure that'll be pushed back. But and then also kind of a weird note that you, you know, individual players can't send videos to the teams of what they're working on now. You can only look at their past playing tape from their college or overseas playing. I wonder what the thought process is behind that. I don't know whether yeah. they're fearing doctoring of videos. Or, That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah the, that a doctored video would be would be possible at this point. And, and I and suppose making the, the playing field equal where everybody has access to the same stuff. Yeah. I, I think that probably I would have to assume that fear of video doctoring, video editing, uh, what were the conditions under which the things were being done in the video, you know, it, it is just it's it, can things be manipulated to make a player look like he's doing things that he isn't really capable of doing on a consistent basis that, that you would see in person at a workout. I guess that's probably what it is. Well, uh, we've had a long one today, but well, we had a great special guest and we wanted to... The most special of guests. We wanted to uh, give everybody a heads up to enjoy the games on Fox Sports Southwest Thursday and Friday night. Uh, get your get your cry on yes. as we reminisce about uh, the way it was with Swish 41. Maybe take a drive down to Whiskey Way and just... Give it a good way. Won't be a lot of traffic right now. So, uh, but we'll be back next week with another exciting edition. I'm Damaris, and he's following. Thank you.